Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. How good is it to celebrate on Easter Sunday that we have a God who is magnificent and wonderful and we're celebrating that because Jesus is alive. So how good is it that we can gather together today? If we've never met before, my name's Ben and uh, we're grateful that you can be here this morning. If you are new or visiting us, Ash mentioned before after the service, we're going to have coffee and hang out together in that direction once those doors open up. And if you are new, there's a free coffee for you. So we'd love to welcome you with that. Now, I've just got a few things to announce before we uh, continue with our service. Uh, They're on the back of your service sheet, but I just want to tell you about these things coming up. So on Friday night, this Friday night, the 22nd of April, uh, we've got a ministry night here at Southside. Now, in the past, we've had our magnification nights or training nights. This is a combination of those things. We're going to gather as a church on Friday night. We're going to sing. We're going to think about how we grow as followers of Jesus. And then uh, some of our teams are going to break up. Or if you're not in a team, we're just going to spend some time praying for what God is doing in our church over the next term. So we'd love you to come to this. That's on Friday night. Whether you are in a team or not, please join us. It's going to be a great night to hang out together. We've also got coming up on the 24th of April. That's next Sunday. A newcomer's welcome. Uh, a newcomer's morning tea. Sorry. If you are wanting to connect into church, if you want to find out what your next step is, this is your next step, your Newcomer's Morning Tea, so that's next Sunday. We'd love to see you there. Please RSVP, particularly if you've got kids for that. That would be great for us to tell you about our church and to hear a bit of your story as well. We've also got Alpha coming up. This is a a little while away on the 22nd of May, but I'd love to announce, so this is a Sunday afternoon from 3 to 4.30 p.m., but I'd love to announce as of Friday, we have creche available for that. So if you've got friends or family who have kids that have stopped them from coming to our Alpha course, then now we have creche. So uh, we'd love to let you know about that, and we'd love you to come along to that. So that's uh, RSVP is that, that address there is on the back of the service sheet or head to our website. You'll find out more information about that. There is some other stuff there that you can see in your own time, but that's some stuff going on in the life of our church. Now, this morning, we are going to hear about Jesus rising from the dead, which is great, but I'm going to spend some time praying. And so I'd love you to join me as we pray together now. Let's pray to our great God. Heavenly Father, your word says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have no faith. Paul wrote these words, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He also said, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. God, if there is no Easter Sunday, if there's no empty tomb, if the body is still there, we have nothing. We are nothing and we are doing nothing worthwhile. But God, if the tomb was empty, if Jesus rose, then everything changes. Our faith is not futile. It's our life and our hope. And so, God, this morning we celebrate that Jesus is alive. We are not stuck in our sins. We have freedom. We have redemption. We have everything. And we are not to be pitied. Our time is not wasted. No, what we know and what we have is everything. It's life over death, it's peace in chaos, it's comfort in difficulty. 
God, as we reflected on Friday, death was the great enemy. But today, on Sunday, we celebrate Jesus that you conquered it. And today we celebrate an empty tomb and a risen king. And we celebrate that our faith now stands on a living God who presently rules and reigns now and who is with us now. God, we pray that this truth would be what shelters us and carries us until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have our Bible reading now, and I'm going to invite Hamish up to come and read the Bible with us. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you do have your Bible there, it'll be on the screen as well. And I should just say while Hamish is coming up that creche is available. If you need creche, it's downstairs this morning uh, through those doors, but you'll have to take your kids there and look after them as well. But Hamish, we're going to read this. Can you tell us where we're reading from and then go for it? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 to 21. We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone the new is here all this is from god who reconciled us to himself through christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that god was reconciling the world to himself in christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation we are therefore christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thanks, guys. Happy Easter, everyone. My name's Ross, if we haven't met, and it's so good during school holidays, particularly Christmas and Easter, to be doing church as a family and have the kids involved and hopefully, yeah, just see what we do as a church. It's not just for grown-ups, but uh, our time together in here is important for all of us. I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to look at that passage and the meaning of Easter. Would you please pray with me? Dear Father God, thanks again that we have this day to come together. Thanks that we can do it as a church family, but also for many of us to have our family around us. So Lord, we just pray now for our time with you that you would speak to us. That when we get together and we come before you and open your word, that you do change our lives. So we pray for your spirit to be amongst us. That you would open our hearts and our ears, so we really see what you're all about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is Easter time, and one of the fun things at Easter time is Easter eggs. And it, I think Easter eggs and chocolate actually reveal a lot about us and our differences. I want to do a quick survey. Who, did everybody get Easter eggs or some sort of chocolate over Easter? And I want to say, who's eaten all their chocolates already? Well, there is a couple. It sounds like, I'm not going to shame you because somebody in our house ate all their chocolate before Easter. So just saying, there's only two people in our house, you can work out who that is. <laughs> she might not be here. The, um, who was going to spread out their, their chocolate for over the Easter period? So basically tomorrow. 
Is people going to spread out just for a couple of days? A couple of people. Who's going to spread out for a week? Who's going to spread their chocolate? There's a few more hands like spread out over a week, not all at once. Who's that sort of person who takes about a month to eat their Easter eggs? There's a few up there. Now, I want to see who takes about three months to eat their chocolate eggs. Does anybody take three months? <laughs> yeah, I'm with you guys. I just let it sit. You only peck at it here and there, and it lasts forever. I'm like you guys. There's something about Easter that we all take differently that sometimes it feels like it goes really quickly and we want to get into it, enjoy it, but up and, uh, other times we want to spread it out. But the fact is, it's a few days. Uh, we get a bit of time off, so our holidays go quickly and they end. Our chocolate, our Easter eggs, they end. Uh, it all comes to end, and we look forward to next year that comes around. You know, as soon as Christmas is finished, the Easter starts coming around again next year. But it's an interesting celebration that comes around every year, but it's unlike almost every other celebration. It's been around about 2,000 years when Jesus died. He lived, died, and rose again almost 2,000 years ago. And it's interesting that in the Roman Empire, where it happened, so it's first century, uh, in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, it was controlled by the Romans at that time. The Romans loved celebrations. They loved festivals. They actually had, and you might know that the 12 months of the year are often in reflection. They, they have uh, named 12 of their gods or people they worship. And every month they would have a festival to that god. But actually, we don't do that today. We celebrate none of those festivals. But yet, for some reason, Easter, that started back then, gets celebrated still even to this day. It just goes on and on and on. And will continue to go on and on and on. Why is this festival at Easter time something that we just keep coming back to year after year after year? This passage we're going to look at today gives us three reasons why Easter is something that will go forever. It wasn't just a big moment for those people who were there at the time. It wasn't just for the few generations later who told the stories and, and knew about the events. But this is some 2,000 years later we're still celebrating. And into the future, until Jesus comes, we're still going to be celebrating. Why is Easter, why does Easter have that much impact on community, on people and on the world? This passage has three points. The first point just picks up in, so we're in 2 Corinthians 15. This is a letter uh, somebody called Paul, he was an apostle Paul, wrote to, to a church in Corinth and he was explaining to them the significance of Jesus and what Jesus had done. And he says here, we are convinced that, that one died for all. So he's talking about Jesus. Jesus actually died, he says. But then he goes on, verse 15, he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him, for Jesus, who died for them and was raised again. Jesus just wasn't a leader, a spiritual leader who just died, but he rose again. He actually rose again. He's talking about the resurrection from the dead, and it's important to note it wasn't just a recovery or a resuscitation. He came back to life. Uh, you may have been on a beach and seeing the lifesavers, keeping an eye out to keep people safe. You know, make sure you're swimming between the flags. And every now and again, they'll find somebody who's got caught or in danger. They have to be rescued. And sometimes when they go out and rescue them, they've swallowed so much water, they're having trouble breathing or possibly they've stopped breathing. 
I haven't seen this on the beach, but I do watch um, the, the Bondi Rescue. That's the one. The Bondi Rescue, where they pull out these people and sometimes they're just unconscious and they've stopped breathing. And they start doing the resuscitation. They turn them on the side, they try and empty the water out. They start pumping on the chest and breathing in their mouth to try and revive them, to bring them back to life. The thing that surprises me in, in those occasions is sometimes that person, once they've brought, been brought back to life, once they've been resuscitated, they, um, sometimes they'll go to hospital to, to get the water, rest of the water taken out of their lungs. But other times, you see them, and I know it's TV and you cut, it seems like minutes, but I'm sure it's hours, the person is up again and they're walking around and they're all conscious, they're thanking the lifesavers who rescued them and that they go home like nothing's happened. And you kind of go, yeah, that didn't change the world, that didn't stop anything. That person will have a cool story to tell their friends, tell their workmates, but it doesn't change the world that somebody got resuscitated from that. Sometimes we hear of people who have been on the operating theatre, <clears throat> in the operating theatre, on the operating table, and they actually, their heart stops beating during the operation, they stop breathing, and they have to be revived. And they say, you know, once your heart stops beating and there's no uh, blood going to your brain, they say, well, actually, you're clinically dead. But in that moment, they don't give up. It's not too late to revive them. They resuscitate them, again, working on the heart, again, putting oxygen in them, and they bring them back to life. And often that person won't even know until after the operation when they're brought back to consciousness that, hey, did you know that happened? Now, that doesn't make the news. It happens fairly regularly, so I've been told. And it doesn't, it, I'm sure that person will probably be impacted. Yeah, I, I kind of died, but I was resuscitated. It wasn't too late. They brought me back to life. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't even make our local news. But then what happens for Jesus is that when he went through this, he wasn't just resuscitated. What happened for Jesus when he was put on a cross, they made sure he was really dead. In fact, there's another passage of Paul's that we can, of the Gospel of Mark, actually, that recounts this. And get the, I'll just read these few verses and see what it emphasises about when Jesus did Jesus sort of uh, get injured and, and was drained so much on the cross that he was able to be resuscitated. No, uh, picking up Mark chapter 15, verse 44. Pilate was surprised, so Pilate was the politician, he was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. So this is, uh, Jesus was still on the cross at that time. And he summoned the centurion. The centurion's not just a regular soldier, he's the head soldier. He asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, Jesus had already died, he gave the body to a guy called Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen, uh, linen cloth, that's what they do to wrap up the dead bodies. They took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. That's a cemetery in, in the grave, in the rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Get that emphasis. Was Jesus, was he able to be resuscitated at that point? No, Pilate's going, can't believe he's dead. Centurion says, yep, he's dead. And if you know the story from the Gospel of John, he's there hanging on a cross, looks like he's dead. They put a spear in his side to be sure and all the fluid comes out. It's like, no, the Romans knew how to kill people. He was dead. He was buried. Now, at that time, do you think the disciples could have 
let's do a resus job. It's not too late. Let's, let's start working on his chest. Let's start breathing in his lungs to bring him back to life. No, he, that, he's dead. We're going to put him in a tomb. The next day, do you think they went down and started working on his chest again? After somebody's been dead for a day, do you think they're going to resuscitate him? It was the third day, it was the Sunday, where the stone was opened and they looked inside the tomb. Do you think some of them might have snuck in then and started reviving him? I don't know a lot about deterioration about people's bodies, but I think by the third day there's starting to be odours and smells and things are starting to fall apart a bit. It's not a very good image to think that somebody could have gone there and tried to resuscitate Jesus. It didn't happen. Jesus was dead and he was brought back to life. He was resurrected on that third day. See, when someone's injured, it doesn't, doesn't change anything much. might make a story. When somebody, uh, when somebody is resuscitated, might impact the people around them who saw it or the person themselves but when somebody's resurrected that does make the news we're told we just finished a series uh, that talked about the story where people were talking about in jerusalem that this messiah jesus had raised was raised from the dead it had made the news of that day and didn't just impact the people around but the, the word got out it, and impacted the next generation and the next generation, some 2,000 years later, it's still impacting people. Paul's saying back in, in his letter to the Corinthians, it changes people's lives. The fact that Jesus was really raised from the dead. We die to yourself and raise so we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for others because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why people are still talking about it 2,000 years later. Not a resuscitation, not just an injury that he recovered from, but it was a resurrection. He rose from the dead. People are still changed by Jesus today because Jesus died and rose again. So the resurrection is major. It's a major thing for humanity that that happened. The second thing is the message about Jesus was about a rescue plan, not just about an inspirational story. And this passage talks about the change Jesus makes in people's lives. See, we can get lots of inspiration from things around us. We're coming up to Anzac Day, and even Anzac Day, I love hearing the stories about the young men who went off to war, or in fact, lots of young people just went overseas to fight for king and country. Yeah, why did they do that? They did it to protect their homeland, to protect their country. They did it to stand up. They did it for all sorts of good reasons. It's a very inspirational story that actually asks questions of us. Would I do that? Would I go to the great lengths to give up my life like they did back then? We get lots of inspirational stories today, even the war in Ukraine. I think we've warmed to that. It's a very sad story to see the number of people who are innocently dying. But the fact that you know, don't let the bully beat you around. This small country that's fairly helpless, just being taken over by the big nation, big brother Russia, just coming in, pushing in on them. But yet, no, they're going to stop and fight. Mum, dads and, and young people all just going, no, we're going to dig our heels in. We're not going to let the bully bully us around. Right, yeah, good on them. Would I do that? I should stop letting the bully bully us around. I should stand up for what's right too. They're inspirational stories. 
that they change us. But many people think that that's what Jesus' story is. That it's just a story that's meant to go, yeah, we should stand up for what we believe, what is right, and good always defeats bad. Uh, there's a guy, Alan Jones, you may not have heard of him, but he's a very influential uh, person, radio uh, broadcaster, talkback show host, um, loves to commentate on world events, uh, blatantly says that he's not a Christian, he doesn't believe in, in the Bible itself. But two years ago, he recounted the story of Jesus. And he told others, he was teaching others about what happened to Jesus, how Jesus was a person who went out and helped the outcast. He was a person that uh, helped the sick and the wounded and the poor. He was a person of high morals. And he was a good person. But then he was innocently killed on a cross by the Romans and the religious leaders. The innocent man was killed because of what he believed, what he stood for. And Alan Jones come to the conclusion, because when you hear this, you go, Alan Jones, has he become a Christian? Because now he's, he's actually teaching other people about the Bible. But his conclusion was, and we should do the same. And we should stand up for the things that we believe. We should stand up for the poor and we should stand up for equality. We should do all these things. Jesus was an example for us that the good always beats bad being that Jesus raised from the dead. He didn't actually believe it was real, but it was a good story. It was an inspirational story to teach us. But if it's not real, it's all it is is inspirational. See, what Paul's writing here, this is real. Jesus died and rose again, and that makes a difference because Jesus was not just about being an inspirational character. He was about a rescue plan for humanity, to rescue the lonely, the lost, and the outcast. And this is what Paul goes on to say. Paul is, uh, you can pick it up in verse 17 there. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. That's more than inspiration. That's a whole new life. See, the old you is under death. It's under death. You know, you're born, you're brought into the world, you do all your years of schooling, you get a job, you, you work... So then there's times of pleasure, but there's times of pain, and then you die. All through the process, all through our lives, we're under the thumb of death. It can take us any time. Death will have its victory. But no, you are different in Christ. Paul's saying, because of, uh, Christ has risen, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So therefore, we can live our lives here, and if we happen to die, that's just the start of eternity for us. It's the start of being with God in heaven forever. So therefore, we live life differently. This is not all there is. This is not all we have. There's something much greater waiting for us because of Jesus. We are not the old creation anymore. We are a new creation. He changes who you are. You're not the person you were born to be. As in, you're not just a human under death, when you're, uh, but in Christ. You've been given true life, eternal life, something to live for. In Jesus, you're a different person. Jesus gives you eternal life, a new creation. That's a rescue plan. Inspiration gets you so far, but a new life gets you eternity. That's what Jesus' mission was. Now, the third thing, why Easter lasts forever, the difference that Jesus makes, is it's a gift. It's a gift from God, but it's not a right. 
And Paul, in these last few verses, uses this word reconciliation a lot. Uh, it says in verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And reconciled, it, it's not a word we use a lot these days, but it's a word that means we're restored or we've, um, in accountancy terms, it's we've paid our debts and we're all even. We're all square. We don't owe each other anything. We're all on good terms from now on. Like for, in our house, we use electricity and we love electricity. And if I don't pay my electricity bill, my power company shuts off the power. I don't have power anymore. And that's bad. I can't just get on the phone and complain to them, I want my power. See, I say, you haven't paid your electricity bill. You're not going to do anything until you've reconciled your bill. You've reconciled with us. You need to pay your bill and then we'll restore your power. So reconciliation is reconciled. We're all on good terms again. We've paid what we need to pay and we're all good. But why do we need to be reconciled to God? Now, in that, those verses there, it talks about this thing called sin. And sin is, you know, you can imagine, we've got a creator God, all good, all holy. He's our creator. And yet, if we don't listen to him, if we don't worship him as God, in fact, we don't only, not only... We don't do the things he wants us to do, but we're always letting him down, going our own way. And that's called sin. It's not just the, the things we do, it's a, our attitude to him that we've, we've rejected him. Puts this barrier between us. It means uh, that we're no longer one anymore. We're no longer on the same. We're no longer even as far as on good terms because of our sin. And the punishment for sin is death. That's the outcome for sin. We can say we're sorry or we're like, but it doesn't make us right with God without some sort of reconciliation. Now, we might say, why doesn't he just forgive us? God's a loving God. Why doesn't he just forgive us? Jesus didn't have to die. Just like, oh yeah, if you're sorry, just come to me and it'll all be good. That's not how reconciliation works. There's still a debt to pay. The best way I can explain this to you is uh, years ago, I used to be a mechanic, and years ago, as a poor mechanic with not much money. Yeah, this is when mechanics didn't have much money. My day-to-day -day driver car was a Datsun 1000, 68 model, and yes, I'd say it is older than me. That's not exactly my car, but it looks very close to my car. Now, being a mechanic, I was only mainly concerned about the mechanics. So it was a little race car. It was awesome. And then I thought, well, if this is a car, I should do up the body. And I fixed it up like this, got my, my uh, panel beater mate to help me work on it, made this car schmick. Nice and straight, cut out all the rust, nice colour white, just looked like a little, little hot rod it was. It was awesome. I loved the car, looked good. It wasn't perfect, but it was a good little car. And one day I'm driving down the main street of Lismore, and this is no flood time, so we're in the main street of Lismore, just driving down, minding my own business, doing everything right, everything legal, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see this car come from a side street and slam into the side of me. Not just any car, it was one of those big old Falcons, not the plastic ones, ones with the solid bumper bars, and it shook my car. And when I, it actually left a line from the door right up to the back tail light, not just a scrape, it actually cut it open like a tin can. It was cut open, gaping. Anyway, this car, this car had hit me. Could not believe it, my precious little Datsun. So what do you think's going through my mind at that time? What has this person done? This person's come out of nowhere and hit me. I bet they're going to just drive off and just pretend it's hardly scratch on their car. I bet they're not, get, not even going to apologize. I bet this is going to be the start of a whole lot of drama. 
So I pull over, and as I'm pulling over, I'm watching them. Are they going to drive off, or are they going to stop with me? Because I bet they're going to drive off. You, know, you always think in the worst. But as I pull over, they pull over behind me. And I'm somebody runs into you, it shakes you up, right? The adrenaline's pumping, the heart's pumping. They've done an injustice against me. They come out, they should have known better. So I'm ready. Nobody's going to apologise. They're going to fight it. Oh, you shouldn't have been doing this. You shouldn't mean that. So what are you going to... Yeah, you got your spiel in your head. I'm going to give this person a what for because they've just wrecked my car. We both hop out of our cars. We both walk, look at the damage. Nothing to, to her car. It was uh, this young lady, a lady who's fairly small in stature. She hops out and, to my surprise, yeah, it's a big car. She looks at my car and just goes, oh, what do you think she says? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't even see you there. So she's repentant. She's like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. And look at your car. So she was sympathetic and empathetic. So she could see little old car. Who drives a little old car? You know. The, um, I'm so sorry about your car. Look at the damage. Ah, oh, this is terrible. Oh, I'm really sorry. Now at that time, how do you think I'm feeling then? So, oh, actually... She's really sorry. It's not what I was expecting. I was expecting a fight. I was expecting denial, trying to avoid the problem. She can see the problem. And she's engaging with me. She's feeling sorry for me. Now, what's going to come of this? We talk about insurance. Oh, look, me and my husband, we've been doing it tough and we haven't been, our car's not insured. But I'm really sorry. Now, what do you do? I've got this small lady in front of me who's, just running to me, but really repentant, really sorry, never going to do it. She's learned her lesson. It'd be easy for me to go, look, you're, you're such a nice person and you've, you've apologised to me and I, I appreciate that and, hey, don't worry about it. If you learnt your lesson, let's just call it quits. No, my car's wrecked. Who's going to pay for my car? So if I just go, you're forgiven, let's just drive away and be happy. My car's barely drivable and I'm going to have to fix it going to come out of my but I've done nothing wrong I was doing the right thing so at some point in time we had to have the conversation no we're going to have to get some quotes we're going to have to make payment we're going to have to make reconciliation to make this right it's not up to me to do it you did the wrong thing I didn't tell her in these words by the way it's much more polite than that but it's it's kind of like it was up to her to make things right but yet we have this same attitude to God. Well, God, I've offended you. I've done the wrong thing with you. I've sinned. I deserve death. But yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I've learnt my lesson. I'll be a better person now and hope that God forgets it. There's reconciliation. The relationship has been damaged. Who's going to pay for that? Penalty for sin is death. Are you going to pay for it? Penalty for sin is death. But God says, I've done nothing wrong, but I will pay for it. See how Paul feeds this in. Uh, verse 18. It's a gift from God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus, through Jesus' death on the cross, through his resurrection. We're reconciled, we're made right, but who did it? It's through God sending his son Jesus to do it. It comes up again, the very next verse. It was God who reconciling the world to himself. God pays the debt so we can come to him. He picks it up again in the last verse, verse 21. God made him, Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. God's going to pay the debt through Jesus to make things right for our relationship with him to be reconciled again. All square. We will have the righteousness of God because Jesus has taken our debt. That's major. It's not a right. We have lots of rights growing up. We have lots of when I turn 16, I can get my license to drive a car. When I turn 18, I can vote in an election. I get a say in who runs this country. When I die, unfortunately for the power of death, uh, when I'm, I, I, I die and that's the end of me. Because of my sin, that's it, that's it. It's not your right that when you die, you go to heaven. It's not an entitlement. It's actually because of Jesus. And it's a gift that God holds out to you. He's like writing out the check. This bill is paid. Your sin is paid for. Writes out how much it costs splashes the blood of Jesus and he hands it to you to go will you accept this gift it's been paid for by Jesus death and his resurrection will you accept this gift Paul says here uh, verse 20 we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God accept Jesus accept that he really died for you accept that he really rose again which means he truly is God who can defeat death but Jesus, see, it came at great cost to God to make you right with him. It cost Jesus. He's dead, but then rose again to say it's his victory. His death was sufficient. But he did it because he loves you. He loves you because he wants you a part of his family again. He wants you a part of his kingdom. He wants you to be sitting with him for eternity. He did that. But will you accept? Will you accept that Jesus died for you? Will you trust in him? Then for eternity. Because you will have new life. You will be a new creation. You will be living forever. And that changes who you are. Changes your priorities. So Jesus' death and resurrection really happened. It wasn't just a recovery job. Jesus' death and resurrection, it really gives you new life. More than a better life. A new life. And Jesus' death and resurrection makes things right between you and God. We're reconciled with God that nothing stands between us anymore through Jesus' death and resurrection. Without Jesus' death and resurrection, as Ben mentioned before, we are fools and should be pitied above all people. We're wasting our time. This is why we celebrate Easter. He really died. He really rose again. And because he did it, we have everything. We have everything. It's worth giving your life for. To follow him let me pray and encourage you just to to consider what does it mean for you to trust in jesus please pray with me dear father god we thank you for your great love for us that you didn't leave us as enemies as rebels living under death but through jesus death it wasn't just a good story an inspirational story but he died for us that makes a difference paying the price that we needed to pay but he stepped in and did it for us. But to show that it truly was sufficient, he rose again. Lord, thank you that you would do that for me, a debt I could not pay, but yet you gave your son for our place. Lord, teach us to believe, teach us to trust in you, teach us to see you as our Lord and Saviour and worship you all our days. 
Lord, we long for your return. We long to be with you in heaven for eternity. But Lord, we pray that you'd help us, help us to live this new life in the here and now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and continue singing together.